0: I don't know about you, but I'm a captive of time, are you? In a little while, some of you're going to kind of look at your watch, you're going to be hoping that nobody's looking around, kind of look at your watch or look in the back and kind of see if it's 12 noon because your stomach is hungry and and, uh, we're captives of time. We want to know the day because a special event is coming. We pull our calendar out of our suit pocket or maybe our purse. We are captives of time and yet God is not. God has an eternal nature. God is eternal. He is not struck by time. In fact, I find it interesting, this text, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it speaks about our God who is not captive of time. To God, a thousand years is what it says is as a day. Can you figure that out? Our God is not a captive of time. He lives above time. And yet, believe it or not, he's got a calendar. Now, you may have not thought about this before, but he's got a calendar. No, it's not the kind that you pull out from the side. It's not one of those palm pilots that some people have. and It's not a calendar that's on his wall. But God's calendar is, as it were, special events in salvation history. They're called the seven feasts of Israel. You've heard of them. And each of these feasts are identified in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And we're going to be going there in a few moments, and if you want to turn there in your Bibles now, you're welcome to do so. In effect, the seven feasts of Israel are God's calendar. Yes, he's got a calendar. Now, when I look at my calendar that's on the wall, and I see events that have already happened, social events we've had, sermon series that I preached you know, my events that relate to my life. And it's history now. You've got your calendar, things have happened, it's history now. And yet, there are things ahead that we look forward to. Well, God's calendar is like that as well. You see, God wanted to keep in the minds of His people, the children of Israel, the entire plan of salvation. And He did it not just through the sanctuary service, The whole plan of salvation was outlined in the sanctuary service, but also through the seven feasts of Israel. In fact, within a period of a whole year, these seven feasts were observed in order to keep in the mind, in the heart, the plan of salvation. I've learned that in this period of a whole year, these seven feasts are divided up into two parts. There's the spring feast. And then there is also the autumn feast. Now, the spring feasts, they point to events that are associated with the very first advent of Jesus Christ, when Jesus came to this earth. Those are the spring feasts, and we're gonna talk about those today. And then there are the other feasts that are called the autumn feasts, and they point to events in the latter days. They're related to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in a future message, we'll talk About the feast of autumn, the autumn feast. And so, in effect, our God has a calendar. And during the span of the entire year, the gospel of the righteousness of Christ was unfolded to the children of Israel there in the Old Testament times, pointing to the great event from Christ on the cross of Calvary to the time when sin and sinners would be no more. The good news of the gospel preached. Yes, even in the Old Testament. Well, today, we're going to take an overview and we're going to look at God's calendar. We're going to go, first of all, to the types. They're found in Leviticus 23. And then we're going to go to the anti types, the real fulfillment. What happened, the results. And we're going to look especially at the spring feast. So as you turn in your Bibles or you're on your way to Leviticus 23, I want to ask you to pull out, whether it be in your Bible or maybe even your bulletin, put it in there as a bookmark. Because not only are we going to look at Leviticus 23, where the type is, but we're going to also go to the New Testament and see the fulfillment, the anti-type. We're going to see the real, how it actually took place. And we're also going to notice spiritual applications for our lives as we look at each one of the feasts of Israel. And we're gonna look today again at the spring feast. Now, to help us in our study, I found it helpful to have visual aids. Do you appreciate visual aids? Some of you are visual people, and I'm kind of a visual person, And so you received, as you came into church today, a visual aid of the seven feasts of Israel. And I wonder, those of you that did not get one, raise your hand. Deacons are ready to get those to you. Just a few here in the front and over here on the side. Keep your eyes open. We'll get those to you. I want to begin now with the first feast. But first it's introduced as we go to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, and we take a look at verse 4. Everybody there? Here we go. These are the feast of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim, what does it say? At their appointed times. Now, I want to focus in on this for just a moment here. The seven feasts of Israel, these seven feasts have their appointed times. And I would like to suggest that as we study the Bible as a whole, that not only do they have appointed times, these feasts, they also have an appointed fulfillment. And those of you that have your outline in front of you there, you'll notice way at the bottom there's a statement in a book called Great Controversy, page 399. Listen to what the Christian writer says there. These feasts were fulfilled not only as to the event, but as to the time, unquotes, We're going to go to our Bibles. We're going to see this for ourselves. We're going to see not only did they have an appointed time when they were to happen, but they also had an appointed fulfillment. Now we go to verse 5. Take a look at verse 5, the first feast. What is it? Let's read it first. On the 14th day of the first month, At twilight is the Lord's, what does it say? Passover. I would like to ask you to circle the word Passover. Those of you that mark your Bibles, Passover. The Passover was the first. It was the opening of all the feasts of Israel. The seven feasts of Israel started with the Passover feast. It occurred in early spring. It was a time when the buds were beginning to open. The flowers were saying, in effect, the winter is over, let us... Let us smile its spring. Now this feast, the feast of the Passover, centered around the lamb. And if we had a visual aid here, we would see the lamb. When you think of the Passover, you think of a lamb. And we're told on this feast that what day of the month, according to verse 5, did they select this lamb? The 14th day. And on that day... The lamb was selected. On that day, the lamb was slain. That was the day. Now, to kill the lamb on the 14th day of the Jewish month was not the only thing they did. They not only killed the lamb, they not only slayed the lamb, but they also personally applied the blood. I'm going over some facts right now, and we're going to make spiritual application in a few moments. So hold on. And we see that in the Scriptures in Exodus chapter. Uh, 12, verse 7, it speaks of the fact not only in 6 did they say they slayed the lamb, but in verse 7 it says they applied the blood of that lamb. Now, those of you who are Bible students, who does the Passover lamb represent? Very good, yes. And how did the real lamb, how was it slain? We're going to go to the Word of God now. Keep your bookmark. Hope you did that. Let's keep our bookmark now in... In Leviticus 23, we're gonna go and study our scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. We're gonna discover there the fulfillment. We're gonna discover there the anti type. You see, the Passover, many times we think of the Passover, we think that it commemorates the deliverance of the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt, and indeed it does. But the Passover lamb was a type, a type. Of that which is the fulfillment, the antitype of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, on what day was Jesus Christ crucified? Anybody? On what day? Friday. Friday, 31 AD. Notice how the Apostle Paul makes the application now. I want to note especially the last part, but let's read the whole verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, who is our Passover? Our Passover, Christ, was sacrificed for us. And as you go through the Apostle Paul's writings over and over again, he makes this statement believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you, you personally will be saved. If you believe, in the Lord Jesus Christ personally. Now, I, I, I share that. You notice how I emphasize that. Because, you see, it's not enough alone just to believe the fact that something happened on Friday, 31 A.D., and there was a man by the name of Jesus Christ that was crucified. Even the devil, Satan, believes that. But Jesus Christ, he is the Passover lamb who was sacrificed for you and for me. And so we need to do, in a spiritual sense, like the children of Israel did. They applied the blood individually. They applied the blood personally. Have you applied the blood? Have you applied the blood of the Lamb Jesus Christ personally in your life? It was shed for you. It was shed for me. How do we do that? How do we apply the blood Do we get literal blood and we apply it somewhere on a doorpost? Is that what we're supposed to do today? I want to share with you how to apply the blood. You and I acknowledge from our hearts. We acknowledge from our minds. We say from our hearts, in effect, Christ, you died for me. I accept your blood in my place. Can you say that? Can you say that and mean it? Will you say it out loud with me? Christ, you died for me. I accept your blood in my place. I find it very interesting that as I've been studying the Feast of Israel, and and it's an awesome study, and I'm just kind of beginning the surface of it, I found it interesting that here we have seven Feasts of Israel, and God starts with Passover. Why would he start with Passover? What is the significance of the fact that he did start with the Passover Feast? Listen carefully. You see, unless you and I personally accept Jesus Christ as our Lamb and that His blood is the one who saves us, unless we do that personally, individually, then all the other feasts have no application to us. Now, now these seven feasts of Israel are, are times of celebration. They are not funerals. And if you and I have not accepted Christ as our personal Savior, if we have not accepted His blood and applied His blood to our lives and accept that His blood represents life, eternal life in Jesus Christ, then, I mean, this is going to be like a funeral for you. It's going to be boring. (laughs) But if you have accepted it personally, then it's a time to celebrate in what Jesus has already done for us. Through these awesome feasts. And so God's calendar starts here. He is inviting us to be guests, to sup with Him, to have fellowship with Him at the first feast, the feast of the Passover. And that reminds me of, of Revelation, the third chapter and, and verse 20. Let's say it out loud together. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and I will what? I will sup with you. I'll have fellowship with you and you with me. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Now, according to God's calendar, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, was slain or crucified on Friday 31 AD. AD. That was the 14th day of the first month. But the very next day was another feast that they celebrated. It was called... The feast of, well, you tell me what it is. What is it called? The feast of what? Unleavened bread. The feast of unleavened bread. Now, this feast began on the first, or I should say the 15th day. It was, it began, it continued, uh, until the, for one whole week until the 21st day. But it began on the 15th day after the lamb had already been slain. So let's go to our Bibles now. Did you keep your bookmark in Leviticus 23? Let's go back to Leviticus 23 and look at the second feast of God's calendar. Leviticus 23 and verses 6 and 7. Oh, I love to hear the sound of the pages of God's Word as as we enter into study today and and seek to understand the spiritual significance of God's Word for us today. Leviticus 23, 6 and 7 on the fifteenth day, the same month, is the feast of what? Unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy, what does it say there? Convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. Now, verse 7 indicates that the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a holy convocation. And I've discovered, as I've studied the Word of God, in the Old Testament here specifically, that a holy convocation is another word for a ceremonial Sabbath. A ceremonial Sabbath. Another word for ceremonial Sabbath is holy convocation. And a holy convocation or a ceremonial Sabbath didn't always meet and happen on the seventh-day Sabbath. It might have happened on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. It was a ceremonial Sabbath, and they treated it very much like the seventh-day Sabbath. You notice there it says there in verse 7, no customary work on it. And so here it says that this first day of the unleavened bread, it was to be celebrated on the convocation uh, ceremonial Sabbath. Now, with that in mind, go with me in your Bibles, with your bookmark in Leviticus 23 to John chapter 19. We're going to discover something very interesting here about the fulfillment of this feast, the fulfillment of unleavened bread. John, the 19th chapter. And again, on what day was it that Jesus was crucified? What day? Friday. Friday. 31 A.D. Friday. And then the next day... After Friday comes Saturday, which is the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. Now, that's interesting. Jesus was crucified on Friday. He rested in the grave on the seventh day Sabbath. And I find it interesting because, you see, not only was it the seventh day Sabbath, but it was also on that very day, uniquely, a ceremonial Sabbath as well. They both happen at the same time. Now, it wasn't by chance. It wasn't by chance at all that Jesus Jesus was crucified on Friday in 31 AD. That's not by chance. It was by design. And neither was it by chance that the ceremonial Sabbath came upon the, the weekly Sabbath day. The two happening at the same time on that day. And we read this. In John chapter 19, verse 31. Look at it. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that's Friday, that the bodies should not be remain on the cross on the Sabbath. Now, notice what it says in the brackets. For the Sabbath was, what does it say there? High day. Would you circle that, those of you that mark your Bibles? High day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they... Might be taken away. That term, high day, is used when, only when, the ceremonial Sabbath and the seventh day weekly Sabbath occur on the same day. It's a high day. Jesus Christ was crucified on Friday. Jesus Christ was in the grave, resting in the grave on the high day. Not only was it the seventh-day Sabbath, but it was also a ceremonial Sabbath, and it was designed by God that it would be that way. Now, according to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what did the Jewish people do on that Sabbath, that high day? What did they do? Well, two very important things. First of all, according to Exodus, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 28, it says that they feasted, they ate the Passover lamb. That's what they did. Now, I want you to catch the picture. On the 14th day of the Jewish month, they killed the lamb and they applied that blood to the doorpost. They did that on the 14th day. But on the next day, on the Sabbath, they feasted on the lamb. They feasted the lamb. You see, it's not enough to slay the lamb and to apply its blood to the doorpost. We must also eat it as well. And that's what they did on the Sabbath. Well, not only did they eat the lamb, but they also, according to Leviticus 23, verse 6, it says that they also ate unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. Now, this I find very interesting because leaven. Is a symbol for what in the Bible? Anybody have an idea? It's a symbol for sin. You're right, a symbol for sin, yeast or leaven, and they were they were supposed. There was not supposed to be any yeast, any leaven in the home that whole week, and so they begin there on the Sabbath, there on that ceremonial Sabbath, to cleanse their homes, their lives of leaven, of leaven on that Sabbath day. Now hold on to that. Let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. You see, this was the time not only to eat the lamb where we would be sustained and strengthened, but it was also the time to remove from the home anything from the home that had leaven in it. All the leaven must be removed. Now, when we look at this, we say, well, boy, they go through a lot of motions here, a lot of, a lot of uh, regulations, it seems so mechanical. Why do they have to do all these things? Well, because there's symbolism here. There was a meaning in it, and they learned what that meaning is, and we need to learn what it means, too, as we apply it for our lives today. I wonder if there is a spiritual application to it. Listen, there is. First of all, friends, it's not enough to just believe that Jesus was crucified On Friday it's not enough to just do that like the Jewish people we must eat the Passover lamb we must eat it well how do we do that well that's what Jesus talked about here in John chapter 6 verse 53 listen to this everybody there John chapter 6 verse 53 then Jesus said to them most assuredly I say to you unless you what does it say eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Are we teaching here cannibalism? On the surface, that's what the people thought when they first heard Jesus. Jesus is not talking about cannibalism here. He's talking about, in a spiritual sense, how we can assimilate who he is, what he has done for us. How do we assimilate that? And so he went on down to verse 63 of John chapter 6. And he tells us what it really means to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Verse 63. It is a spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Circle this word. The words, the words that I speak to you are spirit. They are life. They are life. Hold on to that thought. We'll look at it again. Now. From where you're at right now, I want to invite you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. By the way, who in the Old Testament, on the uh, feast of the unleavened bread, ate the lamb? Who ate it? Only the family could eat it. Only those who were under the blood could eat it. And what did they eat? Well, first of all, they ate the lamb. And how do you and I eat the lamb today as we... Consider the fulfillment of the Feast of Unleavened bread. How do we eat it today? We eat the lamb today by eating Jesus Christ, by eating his word, by taking in his word and prayer, forming a relationship with him. That's how we eat the lamb today. We take time alone with Jesus Christ. We eat the lamb. We eat him up. But as you go on in the Bible, we notice here in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 6, it tells us that they also ate unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 7 and 8, the application, notice it here. Verses 7 and 8. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. May there was purge out sin in your life, and you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So I want you to catch the picture. The feast of unleavened bread pictures the fact that after you and I have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the blood of the land, then we are to put evil away from our lives. Then we're to put evil away from our lives. I want to make another spiritual application here at this point. The beginning, the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was on the seventh day Sabbath. It was a high day. It was on the seventh day Sabbath. And today, today, even this day, the seventh day Sabbath, we as Christians who worship on the Sabbath, we should especially be on that day. It should be a day when we eat the lamb. It should be on a day that we also seek to rid sin from our lives. In other words, the Sabbath is a day to form a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. The Sabbath is not some checklist of do's and don'ts. That's legalism. But true Christian Sabbath keeping is a day to Spend the whole day with our Lord Jesus Christ, forming a relationship with Him. And anything that detracts our communion, our relationship with Him, in knowing Him should be set aside. Set aside. How to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Continue to honor the Sabbath the way it was meant to be kept. Okay. The Passover was celebrated on Friday. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was first celebrated on the Sabbath, on the seventh day Sabbath. And then came the third feast. And what is the name of the third feast? It's called the Feast of First Fruits. First Fruits. And it was held on the first day of the week. Now that's the 16th day of the first month. That was during the spring feast. And I want you to go back, if you would, to Leviticus 23, verses 9 and 10. We're going to read it for ourselves. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 and 10. We're going to note there the third feast, the spring feast, and it says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you, reap its harvest. Then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits, circle first fruits, if you would, of your harvest to the priest. Now, what is this talking about here? What's happening here? As you turn in your Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, on this day, the day of the feast of first fruits, the people were to go into their fields, even before the harvest, they were to go to their fields, and they were to take from their fields a sheaf of grain, which was the first fruit of the harvest. In other words, a bunch of grain. They picked it, and they took it, and they took it to the priest. It was the first fruit of what it would be. And as the priest had prayer and dedication over the, that first fruit, then the acceptance of the first fruit meant that he would bless the whole harvest. That's the idea. That's the picture. Now, what does that mean for you and me? How do we apply this spiritually? How is it fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Well, notice how type meets its fulfillment again in our Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians chapter 15, we begin with verse 20. You have your Bibles open? Notice it there. But now, now, Christ is risen from the dead. Who has become, he has become, what? What has he become? The first fruits. Circle that, would you? Circle that. First fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of who? Who? Those who have fallen asleep. Is there anyone here today who's ever lost a loved one or a dear friend in death, raise your hand, please. I expect everybody to raise your hand. We live in a world where the enemy of death is still alive and well. But we also live in a land where we have faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has risen again. And because he rose again, we have the hope of seeing our loved ones again. And Jesus, he rose from the grave. He is the fulfillment of the first fruits. And when is when are we going to see the results of that? When are we going to see the results of that? When Jesus comes again, right? Amen. Let's read it for ourselves. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 15. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, there it is. Afterward, those who are Christ at his what? At his coming. Circle, if you would, at his Coming. So here we find the antitype, the real thing of the wave sheaf. It was fulfilled on the third day when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Now listen carefully. Sunday, the first day of the week, the day after the seventh day Sabbath, the Bible tells us that Jesus ascended to heaven. He ascended to heaven. And we also know that after he ascended to heaven, he came back to this earth and he was here on the earth for a period of time. But why did it after, right after, well, you remember the time when Mary was so excited that she uh, hugged Jesus and embraced him in Christian love. And Jesus says, don't detain me any longer. I must, what? I must ascend to my father. And he went right on that resurrection day. He went to his father as if he was the first fruits. Yes, he is the first fruits. He presented himself to the father. And the Father accepted him, and accepting Jesus Christ, the first fruits, he accepts those who believe in Jesus. And when they die in Christ, they will raise in Christ at the second coming of Christ. All because of Jesus. Amen? All because of Jesus. So God's pledge that he will accept anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, and they will become a part of the great harvest of the resurrection, on resurrection morning when Jesus comes again. I want to further apply this. The Bible does. I might as well follow what the scriptures do. And so as you turn with me now to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians the third chapter. You see, like the Passover feast, it's not enough just to believe that he was crucified. You and I must believe that he was crucified for you and for me personally, individually. And like the Feast of Unleavened Bread, friends, it's not enough to believe that, that He was crucified for us, but we must also eat the Lamb. We must eat the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Fellowship in His Word and in prayer. Get to know Jesus Christ. That's the fulfillment. That's how it happens. And now, the Feast of the first fruits. It is not enough to believe only That our Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the grave on the first day of the week and praise the Lord for that. But we must make a spiritual application this side of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We can. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 does. Notice what the apostle Paul says that I might know him, he wanted to know him. I want to know him and what? And the power of his what? The power of his resurrection. The Apostle Paul says, I want to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. Friends, what we're saying here, God the Holy Spirit is not only wanting us to know in our hearts of the blessed hope that Jesus is going to come again, and there's going to be a resurrection of loved ones and friends who died in Jesus, but this same Holy Spirit wants us to know that the same the same power, that same Resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave. And thus we have the blessed hope of the resurrection. That same resurrection power can raise you and me from the spiritual death that we have to live holy, victorious lives. That's what he wants us to know. This side of the second coming of Christ. And that's why it says so beautifully in Romans the sixth chapter. You remember the words? Just as Christ was raised from the dead. By the glory of the Father, even so, also we should walk in newness of life, newness of life. And so, these antitypes are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. They have spiritual application to you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. So let's see now. We have the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the feast of the Passover. We have the enjoyment of feeding on Jesus Christ and his word and prayer in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Feast of the first fruits, and all the rejoicing we can do about that. All of these took place within a very short time in the first month of the Jewish year. And they find their fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we, we now must move to one more feast, one more Jewish feast, of, of this uh, spring feast. And what happens is, after Jesus Christ rose from the grave, the f- Feast of First Fruits, 50 days later, they celebrated, or forward, they celebrated another feast. It was called the Feast of what? The Feast of Pentecost. That's right. So let's go back to Leviticus 23. Verses 15 and 16. Leviticus 23, verses 15 and 16. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that, they, that you brought the sheaf of wave offering, even seven Sabbath, shall be completed. Count, count, how many days? Fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. Circle, if you would, 50 days. Now, in the original language, guess what 50 days means? Pentecost. Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost was also called, and so if you study the Feast of Israel, you'll hear maybe not only Feast of Pentecost, but sometimes it's called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. It was only one day. And listen carefully, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the antitype of the Feast of the First Fruits, then what is the antitype? What is the fulfillment of the Feast of the Pentecost? What is its fulfillment? Well, I'm so glad you're wondering. <laughs> Go with me as we finish our message today, Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two. And as you're turning there, let me share with you what it is, and then we'll read it for ourselves. You see, when the day of Pentecost came, Jesus Christ is risen from the grave 50 days forward to that date. We come to the day of Pentecost. And Jesus now has gone to heaven. And there in heaven, he is inaugurated at the right hand of our God there in heaven. And he started as our righteous high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. And when he was inaugurated, when he was accepted his work, that he would begin to apply the benefits of what was done on the cross of Calvary, what happened? Jesus poured forth the Holy Spirit as a sign of his inauguration. That's what happened. And the Bible says it right here, Acts chapter 2 and verse 33. Therefore, being exalted, that's the inauguration, being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise Of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear the Holy Spirit. And so the spiritual application for us now is very clear, friends. When you and I become Christians, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the real Lamb of God, we say yes to Christ. God gives to us His Holy Spirit. Jesus has made it possible. And there's a good text for that Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Well, how do you like God's calendar so far? Isn't it awesome how how God has has fulfilled it to the very time it was supposed to be. I should say, it it took place at the very time it was supposed to happen, and it was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ at the time it was to happen. It's remarkable. It should strengthen our faith. The plan of salvation, from type to anti-type. I pray that this message has been encouragement to you. I look forward to sharing with you the autumn feast. Would you join me as we pray? Precious Father in heaven, we acknowledge today as we celebrate the fulfillment of these awesome spring feast, that truly, Lord, you are the Lamb of God. You were crucified for us personally, individually, and today we want to accept you anew and maybe for the first time as our personal Savior. We celebrate that event today, Lord. And yet, Father, not only do we want to accept Jesus as our personal Savior and rededicate our lives to Him, we want to eat Your Word. We want to eat Jesus Christ and get to know Him more and more and let Him change us. Oh, Lord, we want to fulfill and apply the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We thank You, Lord, that Jesus, You not only died, we not only eat Your Word, but we serve a risen Savior a feast of first fruits, a risen Savior. And because of that blessed hope, Lord, we desire and long for the day when our loved ones and our friends who died in Jesus will rise again. We hold on to that hope. But also, Lord, we desire within us by the work of your Spirit that we would know the resurrection power of your Spirit in our lives, Lord. We desire that. And now, Father, we also celebrate the fulfillment of this awesome Feast of Pentecost. And thank you that you, upon our acceptance of Jesus, have given to us the Holy Spirit. And Father, as we've said in the past, we desire not only that the Spirit be present there, but that he would be present there. Today we celebrate. We make known the importance of who you are and what you have done. And it is good, good, good. In Jesus' name.